Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bevy. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. Hey everyone, Jordan here with the Startup to Scale podcast, and today's guest is Mateu, who is the Chief Sales and Marketing Officer at ZeroDB. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. So today we're going to be talking through everything from uh, product sampling, launching a new business during the pandemic, what that looks like a couple of years later, um, and really how to drive trial for, for a brand. But before we get into that, I would love for you just to give a quick 30-second elevator pitch of what ZeroDB is. Yeah, so uh, ZeroDB is basically what we call it a next-generation functional drink. Uh, we partnered with three neuroscientists to develop a product that was science-based and, and developed for real benefits, so product that you can taste but you can feel. Our main objective, our main therapeutical target is anxiety. You know, anxiety is a growing market. It's a big and growing market, especially after covid um, so the people that we, the, the scientists that we partner with have 20 years of experience in addressing those kind of conditions and have an extensive knowledge of uh, plant, um, of, of plants extra, extract. And they were able to design uh, blends of plant extract for specific therapeutic target, and namely in our case, anxiety. So with what they created, that blend, that special blend of plant extract, we created ZUDB, which is a drink to help you controlling anxiety, de-stress, and focus. I love that. And is DB a, a play on decibel or? Exactly, zero decibel. So we're making an analogy between sound waves where you're in anxiety state, the sound waves are going high in all, in all kinds of direction. And our drink is to get you to a baseline, which would be a zero decibel. I love that. That's so fun. Uh, so with this brand, it started just before the pandemic. Talk about the challenges of launching a new product when you couldn't sample, you almost couldn't do any in-person events. Right. Um, what kind of methods and processes did you use to get the product out in the world? Yeah. So there's two folds. A, getting distribution was harder because the buyers were for recentering on their core businesses. Um, Consumers going in stores were a little more autopilot, that kind of wandering in the store and discovering new things and shopping was a lot less prevalent because they wanted to be in and out quicker. Um, so it was hard to introduce our product and get people to pay attention. So that was another thing. And sampling is key. Sampling is super key when you, when you get into a new retailer and get your product known and exposed to uh, new consumers. And we were largely locked out of... Uh, of that channel, we couldn't be on site and store to sample with consumers. So um, we use alternative method, um, we call smart sampling, companies like Sampler, we use samplers so we can uh, circumvent the restriction that, uh, of traditional channel for sampling and get them in the hands, get our samples in the hands of our consumers. Um, for us, it was a, a bit of a discovery as in there's other advantages that came with smart sampling that we weren't um, it wasn't my primary reason why, but we were using them, but it became a be, being a benefit that we discovered as we were doing it, as we were, it, uh, we were also get a benefit of getting more precise feedback. Um, 
and getting a little deeper uh, understanding and how people were reacting to our product, which is important, where you could be on site or have someone on site handling samples, but you get quick interaction and they, most of the time, we don't, they don't, it doesn't sit long enough with them or we're not long enough with them to really get good feedback. This was feedback post-consumption that we were able to get. So it was deeper understanding of how consumers were reacting. That was useful to us because, you know, when you start, a, when you get a startup, when you start a new pro, a new company with a brand new product, everyone, otherwise you won't do that. You had a certain passion for your product and you, you, you started, you think it's the best thing in the world and you had to have the humility to really listen and to be willing to pivot and change based on consumer feedback. And when you got report with not anecdotal, just a few, a few uh, uh, meet up with people on the street, but a report with hundreds of people having, and you can see the trends, it becomes a little harder to deny and say, no, it's fine. <laughs> you, know, you get the real diagnostic. I, I, I know that's always really crucial, especially at the early stages, because as you mentioned, right? Like when you make the product look, oh, this is great. And then you get out like into the world and you realize like, oh, people have different preferences and tastes. So what was some of the feedback that you heard in the early days? We had one of the flavor uh, that was a polarizing, where I love it or I don't like it. And some of them, but it was the sweetness level wasn't quite up to par. And uh, those are things that we took back and then reformulated since, reformulated since then. But it, you know, it gave us an early warning. Of, there was one specific, we had two flavors. One specific uh, flavor had some, we're showing some issues and through the sampling data that we're getting, and then so it made us more aware of a um, the the uh, how adjusting our volume forecast based on on uh, on the different skews. So we got to get sick. Probably this one is going to sell more. So allocation of our product we adjusted based on that, and also reformulated for the next. All those year. practical areas, yeah. You know, I, I remember when uh, with my energy bar company T Squares we had a flavor called citrus green tea matcha and it was absolutely delicious, yet it had one of the lower um, trial rates because no one has ever had anything that was citrus green tea matcha flavor. And so it's just very new for people. But uh, yeah. once people tried it, they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But the name was throwing them off because it was so unfamiliar. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of that happens. Um, you know, previous to this, you spent um, time working with Hershey's. I know that data is a big part of decision making. So talk about how you've been leveraging um, reports and data around kind of the sampling and trial um, to really help push the brand forward. Yep. When you, when you work with a big CPG, you got, you got budgets. Um, so you can afford to hire in a research team or a research firm to do research specific on innovation. And then you got another, another agency specialized in doing sampling. And then, you know, everything is, you can afford to buy expertise for every single aspect of your product launch or evaluate your innovation. At the startup level, you just can't afford to do that. So when you got solution, that's all package, you get, you do more than one thing with one initiative. So when you do something like sampler, smart sampling, 
it's not only your sampling, but it's also consumer reviews. It's also consumer research. So all, everything is bundled in. So you got, you're driving a lot, of the, a lot of value out of that that you couldn't afford if you were doing the traditional route with infinite budget. Now I'm calling it infinite budget in the world that I used to be. <laughs> but in I Starbucks, know, what a, what a difference. <laughs> exactly. But it's those kind of solutions where you get some of those, like a piece of those things that you would normally need that you really buy in a big environment. But you, you know, if you do more than one, you kill more than you can want more than one bird with one stone, it makes your dollar go further and it gives you a little bit of the benefit that you would have in larger organization of knowledge and greater understanding of your consumer and your product. So I'm curious, how um how often are you doing sampling? Have you done it just once? Or are you doing it? every every year or what's kind of the cadence around it so we um so the first wave that we've done was at the very onset of our launch because it was part of that was getting a diagnostic and where we stood but also get uh, generate a wave of awareness for a product very onset with limited distribution and now as we're building new distribution we pair it with waves of new distribution mm. so um we just got the superstore, they're just coming in online. We need to do sampling. Um, we got another wave of Metro coming in. Metro is a retailer. Superstore is a retailer. Superstore is a Metro are two retailers in Canada. And uh, so as we're getting new retailer on board it, we need to do sampling. We're doing it in different ways, smart sampling. We're doing it in store. Uh, we'll do, we got it. We got a pickup truck, branded pickup truck. We're gonna park the pickup truck in the, in the, in the parking lot and sample, you know, well, it's, um, it, it's, and, and I, from someone who's, I got 17 years of experience in big CPG. So, and now going to startup, I found out that I, I'm kind of have to flip everything upside down as in, um, I was working at the top of the funnel. I could afford to build equity, maintain equity, raise my awareness, so really working a lot at the top of the funnel for a startup although it'd be great you could do that but you can't afford you can't use your resources like that you got to spend your money ironically it, it seems counterintuitive but we're looking for the bottom of the funnel yes. looking for the people who would that would get in touch with the product and has the, like, the highest likelihood of going to the cash register with your product after that so spending your money as close to the cash register as possible and then you work your way backwards and get up to the, to the top of the fund. It's counterintuitive, but that's really what you need to do in a startup world. I'm happy and, you said that. That's, I'm, I'm a big advocate of that because so many founders see that funnel and they think, oh, you start at the top because you put stuff in the top of a funnel, funnel it goes down, but you just hit, hit it right in the head because you have to invest your money at the bottom of the funnel to make sure you optimize all those processes and then work your way up because your ROI is going to be much higher at the bottom of the funnel than it is at the top. Exactly. Exactly. We made that mistake actually. You know, like a year ago, we had a an media agency who came up to us and offered us uh, to inv offered to invest in us by giving us media, and we did traditional media buy <laughs> the all top of the funnel. It didn't generate at all. It, it wasn't costly for us because it was a partnership, but it really kind of gave us a thing. It's not where we're going to put our dollars when we got more dollar available. I know, and then even for especially for brands who are doing e-commerce or even beyond you know, getting that repeat purchase, 
you know, after that initial purchase, investing in your existing customers or people who are trying it and getting them to buy again um, is a really valuable way of, of doing it. You know, that's kind of curious. Have you done any, so you mentioned you do a lot of sampling around new distribution. Um, have you used like samplers, smart sampling or any other things of like to really do a targeted launch at, at the retailer? Uh, we haven't done it that uh, specifically that way, but what we've done though is, and that's another benefit I forgot to talk about is we build up a first party data that we get from our initiative with sampler, which is what, what, we kept that as the, you know, we cherish that because our first party uh, data are people that we can keep maintaining a relationship with, then keep bringing new product news, uh, add value to our relationship. As in, we got a content strategy that we're trying, that we got huge content. Now we're just now formatted in a way that could be more palatable for it for our um, for our customers. But yeah. Um, first party data is super important and that the, if you do it right, and I, I can't say that we've done it right, right away that we we're working on it. Now we've got a new partner, a new agency helping us with that. But if you do content and use your first party data, that's an offshoot of those smart sampling initiative, you're reducing your cost of advertising, especially your DTC business on the side, because the conversion is quicker. You don't have to spend as much on them uh, to generate sales. I haven't done it specifically on uh, in in connection with a new retailer, but we've done it as part of you know a driver of our sales on DTC. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things of when we talk sampling. It's you know when you launch a new retailer, especially a, a large enough chain, um, you know creating that launch strategy, especially if you can create a repeatable launch strategy to drive trial in those new markets, is going to be key. Yeah. And it's beneficial for both the customer to be able to try and for the retailer to see that your product is moving. Yeah. And so I've seen some really cool companies do like they launch at Whole Foods and they do, you know, smart sampling campaigns where they identify Whole Foods shoppers in a certain geography and send product to their home and use that to drive sampling and and the combination maybe with in-person sampling and really trying to get product just moving off the shelf and getting that trial going. Absolutely. Well, you're giving me an idea now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I think a, a, a lot of, you know, the closer that you can tie any type of sampling to, you know, very specific business goals that you have, the the better. Um, I, I love to hear what you kind of think about this. I've been, have you done, are you doing a lot of work on e-commerce for your brand? I know it's beverage, so there's kind of a, it's hard, a little bit harder to do. No, no, we, we do have a functional DTC. We haven't, we, We've dabbled in Amazon, uh, but we decided to to pause Amazon and then try to make, try to build our DTC, our own DTC business uh, for now, just because we wanted the data. Yeah, um, we we haven't meaningfully invested, and as we're now investing consistently and increasing and consistently investing behind our our, our ecom business. We wanted to have the data, the data at the onset and then get that first group or build that kind of what we call our core consumers that would be our tribe and, and then understand our product and their relationship to our product in a big way. So as we start investing, I wanted our data to be our own. If you do, if you send them to Amazon, it's not as, well, you lose them. You don't have that relationship. So that's why we're doing this. Um, let me know when you start doing, uh, we were ready to do Amazon because I spent a lot of work uh, building a number of brands kind of on Amazon. There's some really 
cool data that you can get from there. Um, yeah. From like demographic information, keywords that people are searching for. And I don't know if it's still this way, but I think two or three, three years ago, um, beverages were actually the number one or two product categories purchased on Amazon yeah. for, for food. I think mostly because people were lazy, they didn't want to like carry huge packs of water or drinks home from the store. But. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's our case in our family. That's how we, we buy our beverages. Um, but, you know, it's, Amazon is not out of the question. It's still on our roadmap, especially for U.S. Like we, mm-hmm. we plan to get into the U.S. market through Amazon first. But it was interesting because I was thinking, I spend a lot of time doing grocery, spend a lot of time doing e-commerce. And I was wondering, do you see any corollary between the way that you talk about e-commerce growth to grocery, meaning thinking about customer acquisition costs and how that equates to like customer trial and grocery or how you're spending money on promos and sampling programs in store and grocery to that cost in like e-commerce and thinking about like your lifetime value of customers in retail. Um, I'm just curious if you started thinking about things that way. You mean when I talk to buyers or retailers? Yeah, or even as you're planning out your promotional strategies. Um, I, the way I've been using it, I mean, you're describing a very sophisticated way to look at it. And <laughs> it's a very interesting. I wouldn't say that we got that deep into the thinking. The thinking into our spend, um, and it's all around that same idea that it was related to as in, spend as much of the dollars as close to the cash register as possible. And before, because I still want to have some level of gen- awareness generation, I wanted to generate that, de- that awareness while spending it close to the cash register, which is when I do that on social media, my way to do it, my cash register in like DTC checkout. So I, I focus on a spend that's the marketing performance approach, optimizing the data, optimizing the copy, optimizing the optimizing the, uh, the, the creative while we learn and optimizing the targeting while we, we spend. Um, so for the, when I talk to the retailer, my spend on social media is my spend advertising on awareness. So I'm, I'm, I'm putting that in front of my plan and to see it my, through execution. My thinking is I want, I want that sales from awareness to be as direct as possible and then get the checkout of my DTC business. Not because I want to, I want to steal for my retailer, it's just because my base of distribution is so small right now that if I generate awareness and not without a focus of a checkout of DTC, for that moment, it's not like a, if I expose them to my brand, I don't have three weeks for them to run into my product and find it somewhere. It's going to evaporate. It has an awareness at this level. If you don't see it constantly in store, at every store you go, it has an expiry date. So if I spend right. for that awareness, I need to get it there's too few store right now where they're going to find me. So that I'm going to lose that spend. Once I get a bigger base of distribution, once I get uh, consumers, most of my consumers would bump into my product on shelf and through their day-to-day shopping. Then I could get into that thinking, but right now it's, I'm trying to maximize um, the return of every cent that I spend with a limited distribution base. Yeah. You have to get it as you need to track that those dollars as best as possible. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, have you been able to leverage any of your sampling data for uh, buyer meetings for retailers? Yeah, actually, we're using um, repeat intent. That's a big one. Um, say we, we, 
we talk about how many people have been exposed to our product and we talk about what they declare in terms of their purchase intent. And we got a good percentage of, of people who are saying, yeah, they would want to buy it so that we use that as part of the story that we expose the buyer to. I love that. And I think maybe I'll uh, hit you with some ideas as well, because one thing that I hear from, uh, from founders all the time is that they have a, access to actually like a decent amount of data whether it's from their own like first party data or from Amazon or from sampling or things like that, but they're not always sure how to best leverage it um, yeah. for like the actual practical business. What, how do you use it to drive sales? How do you use it in the retailer presentation? How do you use it in the investor pitch? Um, and so I'll probably uh, come back to you for some ideas around that as I kind of put together a guide, because that's one thing that I want to help um, founders do is make, use of the data that they have so it doesn't feel overwhelming so it's actually useful without having to have like teams of trained professionals to analyze it yeah and then so the other way that's powerful to use it is you know if you sample a thousand people and then uh, i don't know 80 percent of people are saying are interested in buying the product and you can go to retailers like hey we sampled a thousand people 80 percent are interested to buy it and half of them are actually shopping in your store uh, that's a very powerful piece of data too that you can get from those initiatives. I love that. Just by it reduces the yeah it reduces the risk of the retailer because their business risk is I'm going to put it on the shelf and it's not going to sell. No one wants it. <laughs> exactly. You show that you're building a base of people that are aware of your product, have tried your product, interested in the product, and are shopping in your store. That's pretty powerful. I love that. Mateo, thanks so much for being on the show today. Uh, excited to hear how you've been using data, especially around sampling to grow zero DB. And we'll check in with you to see how things are going throughout the rest of the year. Thanks. Thank you so much. This was great. Have a good one.